You're listening to audio from Crossroads Community Church, located in Fogelsville, Pennsylvania. If you want to learn more about C3 and what it is about, you can visit us at c3lehigh.com. And now, for today's sermon. So hey, this week we're continuing our series, Overcoming Discouragement. If you would turn to Psalm chapter 73 with me, that's where we're going to spend the majority of our time this morning. Last week we preached, we, we discussed uh, Psalm 73, um, which just to reiterate, we're going to be turning there this morning, Psalm 73. Uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, I want to encourage you, if you have a smartphone, download the Bible app. I got to say one of my favorite features about the Bible app is you can uh, make them read to you. And so while you're in the car, they actually read to you. And one of my favorite features is I have uh, the app, um, Tell Me the Word of God in a British Accent. Uh, It just adds a little pizzazz to it, you know? And so I want to encourage you, download the Bible app if you have a smartphone. If you don't have uh, the Bible, the hard copy version with you, even though I prefer hard copy anyways. Read the word of God. Amen. Uh, so this morning, we're going to be turning to chapter 73. If you remember last week, we talked about how this is, this is a psalm for the discouraged. And David takes us on this road trip, this journey through Psalm 73, where he talks about, as we mentioned last week, his theology was in conflict with his experience. His theology was, was God, you're good, and you're good to those who love you. But his experience is looking around the world around him, and he says, it seems like the wicked are prospering. Can we have a real moment here? Can we be real, church? By show of hands, how many of you have ever felt like it's the wicked who have been prospering in the world around me? Come on. That's a whole lot of honesty in this room. That is awesome. We've all been there. I don't know very many Christians who haven't been to that place where, like, pastor, I don't get it. I look around the world around me, and it seems like evil is just winning. I turn on the news, and I'm like, that's problem one. Like, I turn on the news, and it seems like every report, can you imagine, like, what our news would would look like if we turn on the news, and they were like, hey, 10 great things that are happening in our culture today that we want to tell you about. What would our world look like? Instead, they're like, the 10 worst moments in the news this week. And they give these highlights, and it, it, it shows politics, which now we should just call the circus. And it goes through our government and our society and the worst crimes, and you watch it, and you're like, God, it, it seems like evil is just winning. And David has this mindset. David has this, this struggle where he looks around, and he's like, God, I, I don't get it. And David, we can just read this psalm for just a few lines and see that David is dealing with discouragement. How many of you are willing to acknowledge that I feel like all we have to do is look in the world around us and say people are discouraged? And I don't know about you, but over the past year, with all of the COVID stuff going on, all the political turmoil, all of this stuff, I have found myself multiple times, can I be honest with you this morning? I have found myself in the pit of discouragement a few times. And as I shared last week, I'm embarrassed to say this, but I had one of those reality check moments where a friend and I were going out to breakfast and both of us had given up on politics. We're like, we're not going to think about it. We're not going to talk about it. We're just, and I forgot how to carry on a positive conversation. And I just kind of sat there and I'm like, this is weird. How to be uplifting 101. That's discouragement. 
And I feel like in our culture, many of us can align with David when it's just like, God, I, I, I know that you're good, but it just seems like evil is winning. And so let's talk about this. Because towards the end of Psalm 73, I don't mean to give away the ending, but David is, is glorifying God, saying things like, my flesh may fail, but God, you never will. What brought him to this place? And that's what we're going to talk about. Psalm 73, verse 1. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from common human burdens. They are not plagued by human ills. Therefore, their pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. From their callous hearts comes iniquity, their evil imaginations. They have no limits. They scoff and they speak malice with arrogance. They threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven and their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore, their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. They say, how would God know? Does the Most High know anything? David goes on. He says, this is what the wicked are like. They're always free of care. They go on amassing wealth. I think this is one of the most heartbreaking lines in this psalm. David says this, surely in vain I've kept my heart pure. And have washed my hands in innocence. All day long I've been afflicted and in every morning brings new punishments. If I had spoken out like that, I would have betrayed your children. Here's the turnaround point. When I tried to understand all these, it troubled me deeply. Till I entered the sanctuary of God. Come on, somebody. Then I understood their final destiny. Surely you place them on slippery ground. You cast them down in ruin. How suddenly are they destroyed, completely swept away by terrors? They are like a dream when one awakens. When you rise, Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and arrogant. I was a brute beast before you. Before we continue, we're going to pause and we're going to talk about what just happened for a few moments. Verse 21, David struggled with his emotions. He says, I was senseless. I was a brute beast. He, he was saying, I was senseless and I wasn't seeing things for how they truly were. He did not respond. David did not respond spiritually or rationally. And when David says, here's the reality. When David says, I was a brute beast, what was he referring to? The reality is, is that beasts and animals don't have intellectual thoughts. Have you ever messed with a dog? There's not much going on there. It's why I love dogs. I heard one time somebody say, you know, your dog loves you more than your spouse. I said, how can you say that? They said, here's a test. My home. They said, if you lock your spouse in your trunk, I'm like, oh, for 10 minutes and open that trunk up, you're going to get beat up. She's going to leave you. You put your dog in the trunk for 10 minutes and open it up, he's going to love you the same. Man's got a point. 
But the point is, is that brute beasts don't have a whole lot going on there. They're not weighing consequences and, and actions. I mean, dogs, it's squirrel, you know? It's not like before they see another animal, like a squirrel, a dog chasing a squirrel, they're not like, you know, what's the distance there? Height to weight ratio. It's instinctually, it's emotional. When you tell a dog that the dog is going outside, what starts happening? Going into convulsions, getting excited. There's an emotional response that happens. David says, I was responding without thinking. I was like a beast that, that simply reacts emotionally, that has emotionally responses, instinctual responses where they don't think about the consequences and actions and they don't step back and, and kind of evaluate the situation. David, this comparison is beautifully poetical because it gives this description where he says, I didn't think things through God. I just reacted emotionally. I was acting out of flesh and not righteousness. Have you ever been there? Here's my point. Feelings can be our greatest strength, but they can also be our greatest weakness. Here's what I mean by that. Greatest strength versus greatest weakness. An example is some people may be really, really kind, and they just genuinely love others, and they're constantly doing things out of a good heart, loving other people, but their kindness is, their kindness is inevitably their, their, their greatest strength. Absolutely, they're kind to others, they love, maybe hospitable, but one of their downfalls might be they very well might be very passive. They're so kind that they let things go and don't deal with problems. Another example of somebody's greatest strength being their greatest weakness is a girl may be very beautiful. But someday she might use her beauty to get people to do what she wants. We see that in scripture many times. Another example of greatest strength being greatest weakness is a person may be a very great leader. They are ambitious, they are driven, they are passionate, but they also may be very bossy and commanding, very forceful in their approach. Great leadership skills, that's their best quality but it also may lead to it being their greatest weakness. Is this making sense this morning? Here's what I'm getting at. One of the things that I am so proud of is being Pentecostal because we acknowledge the Trinity and its completion, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And as a church, we believe that you and I can have encounters with the Holy Spirit. I believe we had a very big encounter this morning during worship where you start to feel things, where your heart starts to, you just start to feel this compassion or as if God is just wrapping his loving arms around you and there's this moment. I'm so thankful that as a church that we have these emotional experiences, that we have experiences with God. And the reality is, is when you have an experience with God, you're gonna be impacted emotionally because God gives us emotions. Is this making sense? And we say things to validate this, such as, you know, didn't you feel God today? Didn't you feel him move? And it's a great thing. 
And many of us have had these experiences with Jesus and in his presence, and it's, and it's a great occurrence, and it's a great event, but here's what I'm getting at. We cannot allow it to become emotions to become the test to whether God loves us or not. We can't allow our emotional responses to become the test of where we are in our relationship with God. We cannot allow feelings to determine whether we are in right relationship with God or not because the reality is, is whether you feel it or not, God is in relationship with you. If you've asked Jesus to come into your heart, it doesn't matter how you feel. He's there. It doesn't matter how bad of a week that you've had. He is still there and he still died for us. There have been times in my life where I have to admit that I followed God purely out of obedience and it had nothing to do with emotions. Can I be real this morning? There are times in my life where I felt like I was going through a desert season spiritually. And there have been moments in my life where seasons like that have lasted years where I did not really feel God. But I knew that he still loved me. And friends, we have to be cautious where we can't allow our emotions to be the determining factor of whether Jesus still loves us and still died for us. Yes, God gave us emotions, and it's a beautiful thing. And as I've already stated, when you encounter God nine out of ten times, you're going to be impacted emotionally. Why? Because God gave you emotions for a reason. There's nothing wrong with having an emotional response. And on the opposite side of the spectrum, I've heard some people say, I haven't encountered God because I'm not an emotional person. I'm like, that has nothing to do with it. I think that you haven't encountered God because your heart is kind of callous. Can I be honest this morning? So the psalmist expresses, he says, there was one time when I measured my relationship by emotions and I was going through these emotional experiences and in Psalm 73, he talks about how this perception caused confusion in his life. He, he, it seemed like, like the wicked were reigning and, and prosperity was only happening with them and he evaluated his relationship with God kind of like this. When things were bad, I was discouraged because I thought God hated me. Have you ever been there? Can we be honest this morning? Having an emotional experience with Jesus is incredible. And friends, it's biblical. Can I hear an amen? amen. Allowing our emotions to determine our relationship strength with Jesus, though, is unbiblical. And I believe that it's a way that the devil gets a foothold in our lives. So he begins to whisper things in our life when we don't feel God. He says, see, he's not here with you. That's a lie. See, he doesn't vow. He doesn't have plans for your life. That's a lie. It is vital that we always know that God loves us because of what Jesus did once and for all on the cross. It's vital that we know that God loves us because of his sacrifice. Are you feeling discouraged this morning? Here's my advice. Base God's love for you off of what the cross has accomplished. And do not base God's love for you off of temporary emotions. Come on, somebody. The reality is, is that if we base our relationship with God purely off of emotions, you and I are inevitably going to be discouraged. Why? Because we're going to feel differently five minutes from now. 
Emotions are going to change, but the cross is not. Emotions are going to change, but his blood is still going to be sufficient for our sin, our penalty. Come on, somebody. Emotions are going to change, but he's still going to be faithful. Emotions are going to change, but he's still going to have a plan for you and I, whether you feel like it or not. Emotions are going to change. Circumstances are going to change, but God's love and plan for us will not change. Come on, somebody. We base our relationship with God and Jesus off of, off of our emotions. You and I are inevitably going to face discouragement. David admits to reacting in emotion, and therefore he is led to the reality that, that God, is, God is with him. Now he has spent time in the presence of God as, as we read. I love those but God moments. David says, until I encountered your presence. Now he has spent time in the presence of God and he's able to articulate the problem, see them with a biblical view and move forward. So David comes to his senses, gains this perspective that God's love isn't based on emotions and the psalmist or circumstances. And the psalmist goes on to say this in verse 23, yet I am with you always. That line right there shows us the turnaround that just happened in David's life. Yet I am with you always. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you, O Lord? And the earth has nothing that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but my God, there it is, friends, but my God, would you say it with me? But my God, one more time, but my God, is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. In this beautiful revelation moment, David recognizes all who commit themselves to God will be guided by the counsel of his word and his spirit. And I just want to say to you that this is a deadly combination. When you have this com combination in your life, you're a dangerous Christian. You know that? When you have the counsel of his word and you and I are being led by his spirit and spending time in his presence, can I just say that this is a combination that will get you and I through any season. Any discouragement that you and I face, his word, his counsel, his spirit, his presence is necessary for us to get out of that discouragement. David comes to realize that it's God alone who provides satisfaction to our hearts in such a way that we have fulfillment of desire. David recognizes that the righteous man's afflictions end in, end in peace, therefore he is happy, but the wicked man's enjoyments end in destruction. Therefore he is miserable and the prosperity of the wicked is short and uncertain. Last week we discussed the fact that it wasn't the wicked that were in the wrong. David starts out this psalm and he talks about how the wicked are prospering and he talks about and kind of hints at God, like, how can you allow this to happen? And here's the reality is a part of David's revelation moment is he comes to realize this. It is not the wicked that have the problem. It is not, it is certainly most not God who has the problem. David comes to reality, he says, I'm the one with the problem. I'm the one who has misperceived this whole situation. 
Psalm 73, 17 says this, till I entered the sanctuary of God, then I understood their final destiny. The problem was not with God. It was not with the wicked. The problem was with David and his false perception. He did not respond spiritually, but he responded emotionally. He goes on to take up ownership over this false perception by saying this, when my heart was grieved. And my spirit embittered. I was senseless. Do you see the ownership, friends? I was a brute beast before you. David continues to have the revelation of I was in the wrong. Have you ever experienced one of those moments where you're like, maybe it's me? Just you, pastor? Okay. <laughs> have you ever had those moments I remember standing in the kitchen with, with my wife, Kylie, and my, my cousin, Amy, and we're sitting there discussing a few things, and we're talking about how some people, you know, they're just kind of relaxed. They're just kind of go with the flow. Have you ever met a person like that? Like, no matter what happens in their life, they're just kind of like, oh, you know, better days to come, and you're like, oh. <laughs> and so we're sitting there around this kitchen island, and we're talking, and, and, uh, Forgive me for being naive, but I kind of, I chimed in and I'm like, yeah, I'm like that. <laughs> Thought I was. <laughs> and the room got quiet. And they look at me and they started laughing at me. And my wife goes, hold on, hold on, wait a minute. You think that you're easygoing? I'm like, yeah, go with the flow. And the laughter grows. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, what? I'm easy going. And so they start telling stories about all the times in my life when I was not easy going. And I had that moment just like Steve Urkel. Did I do that? And I came to the realization that I am not easygoing, that I need a plan, and I need organization in my life. But I had that moment of maybe out of nine billion people on the planet, I'm the one who has the problem. And I came to that realization that I needed to be a little bit more self-aware. David had this revelation moment, that aha moment of God, I was in the wrong. And I was the one who had this false perception. And my question to you is honestly ask yourself this. What if David never came to this realization? What would his life or leadership have looked like? And let me ask you this. Would God have still used him the way that he did? Or would his perception have prohibited from God using him? Because here's the reality is I believe that when we say no to God, that he picks someone else, that he raises up another generation. We see that in Scripture. He didn't sit there and go, oh no, my plan for mankind is in the ruin. 
But God, it says so clearly in Scripture, especially in regards to the Israelites, where he picks another generation. So my question is this. What if some of us are bearing an extreme amount of discouragement because we haven't had a moment yet like David? That aha moment of maybe... I've been harboring some things in my life, some attitudes, some perceptions that have prohibited God from using me because I have prohibited God from using me. What if we're the ones that need change in our hearts? I'm relaxed, I go with the flow, I'm easygoing. And then I had that moment. Maybe I'm the one who has something in my perception in my heart that needs adjusted. So as we draw to an end, here's, here's what I want to go over quickly. I want to mention seven signs that will tell us that God needs to change something in our hearts. Seven signs that are, that are indicators to us. If we right here, right now, need God to change something in our hearts, First is this, is all of the problems in your life are someone else's fault. Some of you are like, even here and now, you're like, I know someone like that. Friend, it might be you. <laughs> and you best not point to your spouse right now. We've all heard stories from individuals who've had a lot of problems in their life, but it never, the, this, the, the accusations are always towards somebody else, but never owning personal responsibility. The second sign is there's a history of broken friendships. Are people in our lives long enough to know who we are? Or do we cut them out or have some kind of falling out before they truly know? Do you have deep-rooted friendships where you've known so-and-so for 20, 30 years? Or is it more like 20 to 30 months? Your conversations, here's another sign, our conversations are driven by pointing out the wrong and everything else. And this is something that I have struggled with in my life. Where there is a lot of wrong in the system, in our society, in our world. That's true. But very rarely have I paused and said, God, how do you want to use me to fix it? Fourth, are you known for speaking kindly? Well, pastor, I just tell people how it is. Have you ever met someone like that? Once again, <laughs> jackass. Have you yourself ever been like that? Well, I just told him straightforward. Friend, that's a statement that tells me that you stated something that may have been true, but there was no love in the statement, which the Bible was clear on saying things with truth and are you known for speaking kindly or do we take pride in being unkind? 
And can I also take that one level deeper and please understand that, that I am a patriot. I love my country, but I've traveled the world long enough to realize what the world sees as American behaviors. And one of our behaviors is that we tell it like it is, which is a statement of saying we're unkind. We're straightforward and we lack love. Could it be that God wants to do something here in 2021 in the heart of the church where we are known for our kindness, for our truth and love? Come on, somebody. Number five, people have tried to correct your behaviors and attitudes. There might be a history in our lives of sit-downs and heart-to-heart discussions of our emotions. I remember in, in college, I had gotten into uh, weightlifting, and I was on a variety of workout supplements. And these workout supplements made me a little bit irritated, irritable. And I remember walking into my apartment, true story, my roommates to this day will not let me live this down, where I walk into my apartment and they're sitting in a circle and they go, come here, Donnie. I'm like, this is an intervention. (laughs) My roommate stands up smiling, knowing that he and I have both taken the same counseling course. And he goes, Donnie, now no one here is saying this is an intervention. I'm like, that's exactly what this is. Because only when it's an intervention, you say it's not an intervention. But I remember us sitting down and they all start laughing, but in the most loving, kind way, they brought to my attention that I had been a little bit irritable and short with a few of them. And I'm so thankful today that we had that conversation. So I want to I ask you, you've heard my story. Are there moments in your life where there have been sit-down moments, conversations about attitudes and behaviors that have damaged others? And how have you responded to those conversations? And maybe you're here today, and God's kind of pulling on your heart that you need to be the one to have a conversation with somebody else who's had these kind of attitudes. It's called being the body of Christ. It means that we hold each other accountable. It means that we Have those conversations that are really difficult, but you have them in love. Six, you've never really plugged into a church because every church that you've attended has issues that can't be resolved. Some of you are catching that because the church had issues. Now, I get it, and I've already heard some of the testimonies represented in this room where there are Um, Some individuals have transitioned churches because they have changed a fundamental biblical doctrinal position to an unbiblical one. And I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about in America, we have this term called church hopping. And church hopping just makes me feel the most convicted because I have sat down with best friends of mine who are missionaries in persecuted countries where they have sat down and, and we've talked and they talk, they, they bring to, to, to mind the reality that um, in America, we have red carpet pastors, pastors that are superstars, 
make millions of dollars and, and hear me out. There's, there's no, I don't have anything against somebody being successful. But they bring to my memory the reality that in other countries, the red carpet is the blood of martyrs that saints are standing on. And in America, as opposed to churches in other countries where if they're found out, they pay with their lives. In America, we just church date. And we nitpick. And I get that there's, there's personal preferences. And please hear me out. I'm not trying to come down hard this morning. I'm just trying to say, friend, that the New Testament calls us to get plugged into a church to be the body of Christ. In order for us to fulfill what scripture has called us to do, we have to have long-term vision in our planning when we plan to get plugged into a church. And I want to encourage you, if you're here this morning and you're in this kind of testing season where you've had some bad experiences at churches, I'm not trying to call you out. But I am trying to say this. If you're here with us this morning, whether it's online or in person, my heart and my prayer that everybody in this room or joining us online will plug into this church. But if you're joining us online for our online audience and you don't live anywhere near us, I want to encourage you to get plugged into a church, your local church, because it's what scripture tells us. Amen, church? Is this making sense this morning? I'm not trying to be cruel. I'm trying to say that sometimes these indicators, if you and I have a list of 10 churches that we've been to in three years, that might be an indicator that there's something in our hearts that needs to change. Amen? Amen? Amen. Amen. One more time. Amen? Amen. 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 Thank you, Jack. (laughs) I'm going to ask the worship team to make their way forward. And lastly... A sign to you and I that's an indicator on whether we need something in our hearts to change is this. You cannot remember the last time that you apologized or reconciled a relationship. I'm talking deeper than just saying sorry to your, to your spouse real quick and then, and then moving forward. I'm, I'm talking about a situation that, that was ugly, and you had to put in some work and some heart. And I just, I also want to say this this morning, is I would be naive to believe that there aren't circumstances and situations represented in this room where you've dealt with abuse in your life. And I am not saying that you are the one who needs to bear the responsibility of that. I want to be clear on this. If you come from a circumstance or situation of abuse, that is not on you. But on the flip side, if you're here this morning, I want to have a heart check moment. Is there an instance in your life that you can recall and say, Pastor, I apologized in this situation and I worked everything out? Or is there a history of just kind of backlogs of hurt, broken relationships? Why do you bring this up this morning, Pastor? I thought we were supposed to get out of discouragement. My point is this. Sometimes the pathway out of discouragement is to recognize that we need things to change in us. 
sometimes the pathway out of discouragement is like a, having, having a David moment where we have this revelation moment with Jesus where we recognize, oh man, I can't remember the last time that I had to apologize. My life is littered with broken relationships. Pastor, if I were to be honest today, I've never really plugged into a church. I've only attended and then moved on to another church. Maybe there's those moments in our lives where we're having that aha moment. And I believe that that is a holy moment, church. Because of these two reasons. First is this, with Jesus' help, we can change. Come on, somebody. With Jesus' help, we can change. He changes hearts. He renews minds. It's what he does. And I can say from personal experience that he's really good at it. That if you find yourself in a season of discouragement, I want to encourage you this morning that God will use that season to make you a new creation in Christ. That he'll use challenges in our lives to bring realities to our attention so that he can change our perception. So that he can get into our hearts and bring about transformation. It's what God does. David said this, you guide me with your counsel and afterward you take me into glory. David's heart changed, he, therefore he gained a closeness with God as a result. There's an abundancy of hope that fills my heart when I realize I still need change in my life. And secondly, Christ can do it. Friend, we need God to always be changing things in our lives. We will never arrive at the place of completion. Not on this side of eternity. We'll never arrive at that place where we say, okay, uh, pastor, I have arrived. I've accomplished everything that God wanted me to accomplish. I have all of the fruits of the Spirit alive and abounding in my life, and I am killing it. But I hope that we walk in humility, realizing that transformation is not a destination, it's a process. And it's a process that everyone in this room is in the midst of. It's a process that everybody who's joining us online is in the midst of. And if we want to shut down that process of transformation, all we have to do is stand here today and say, I don't need to work on any of that. I don't have any of those problems that you mentioned. I don't have any perception. I see everything 100% accurate. If we have that attitude, then friend, I'm afraid that God's not going to use you. Not until that heart is changed. It's not that he can't, he won't. Because he's looking for open vessels. And the second fundamental principle that gives me encouragement is this. A changed heart leads to encouragement because it leads to a closeness with God. When our hearts 
Say, God, I'm open to whatever work you want to do in and through my life. Whatever perception needs change, whatever relationships in my life need change. If you want me to get rooted, I'll get rooted. When you and I have that attitude, the uplifting portion of this sermon is this, that God can and will use you in incredible ways that he'll use you to impact other people's lives, that he'll bring about spiritual maturity in your life. And can I tell you that I really enjoy eating steak. This will make sense in a minute. If you're here and you're like, and you ask me, pastor, would you like a bowl of cereal or would you like filet mignon? I'm gonna say, show me the steak, baby. Show me the meat because the meat brings about nutrition in our lives. The meat is really good and tender and you chew on it and you enjoy it. But Paul says that you and I have to come into spiritual maturity to have the meat of the gospel. Those truths that are really difficult to chew on, but they're so good for our spiritual growth in life. And as we come out of that mealtime with chewing on the meat that you and I inevitably feel that beautiful steak belly. You know what I'm talking about. Full and satisfied where you go to, you know, you go to a steakhouse, you're like, they're gonna have to roll me out of here. It's kind of like that, but spiritually where you just feel full, you feel satisfied. That's what the meat does in our lives. But Paul, he has this moment with the church and he says, I fear that I'm not able to give you the meat because you're still on the milk. Why were they still on the milk? Because they weren't ready for statements like we've talked about today in church. Here's my heart for this church, for my church, for C3 church, our church is that we would grow into mature Christians. The world has had enough of infant Christians. I've had enough. Where people have been serving Christ for 30 years and they're still on the milk. God's will for our lives is to give us the meat. Can I hear a good amen? God's will for our lives is to bring us into maturity. One of the ways that he brings us into maturity is by having those David revelation moments in our lives. So just to recap in Psalm 73 as we close, verse 1, David says, God is good to us. Verse 14 says, no, that's not true. It's the wicked who prosper. Verse 17, but then David has an encounter with God. Verse 19 He says, how suddenly the wicked are destroyed. And he starts to gain a godly perspective. Verse 21, David sees who God is and begins to worship him. And I believe that that's the pattern that God wants to do in our lives here this morning. I hope that this sermon between today and last week has brought about that reality. Pastor, I need perception. I believe that God wants to accomplish these two things before we leave. He's brought about perception need. Secondly, I believe that God wants to speak to our hearts this morning. And lastly, we're going to worship God for who he is. So as the worship team leads us in this song, greater you Lord, correct? Yeah. Awesome. We're going to sing greater you Lord. And I want to encourage you to listen to what the Holy Spirit wants to speak in your heart. The Holy Spirit's going to bring about those things, those thoughts 
to your mind that you know you didn't produce, only God can produce, of areas in our lives that we need to work on. Because friend, don't take that message offensively. The reality is, is that we all need work on. Till the day that we see Jesus, we all have areas in our life that we need to work on, that we need him to chip away and chisel at so that we can become the mature body of Christ. Would you stand with me this morning? Next week, we're going to talk about outside factors that have caused discouragement in our lives. Outside factors. But for this week, would you just for the next couple minutes entertain the thought of, God, what are some inside factors that I've got to address in my life? so that I can become the creation that you're calling me to be. Mike, would you lead us? Jesus, we worship you. You give life, you are love. You bring light to the darkness. You give hope. Pour out our praise.
for just another minute. I'm going to ask every head be bowed, every eye closed. One of the things that we do at our church, if you're new with us, you'll see people lifting their hands, and that's an outward expression of an inward experience. Saying, God, our hearts are yours. We surrender to you, and then we just outwardly express it. And so I'm going to ask, if you're here this morning, and you're ready to say, you know, God, I, I, you've brought some things to my attention. I'm ready to surrender these things over into your hands, recognizing that only God can change these things. I'm ready to recognize, Lord, that you, it's what you do. You change us. You change hearts, and you make us a new creation clothed in righteousness. If that's you here this morning without anybody looking around, would you just join me in lifting a hand towards heaven, just signifying, God, I'm, I'm ready to... I'm ready to, to surrender some things over to you. Have your way in my life. So Lord, I pray over every raised hand in this place today, God, that you would bring about the transformation that your, your word teaches us about. God, that you would help us to hand over to you. Whatever it is that needs change, God, if it's perceptions, if it's behaviors, if it's outlooks, whatever it is, God, if you want to, whatever you want to do, God, I just keep hearing this scripture. I will replace a heart of stone and put a heart of flesh in you. God, may that be done here at Crossroads Community Church, Lord. We give you over our hearts of stone, recognizing that this is an easy trade, that you take something that we were never meant to have and give us what we were always meant to have, and that's a heart that reflects yours. So Lord, mold us, shape us, change us. We recognize that you desire to grow us in our relationship with you. So here we are, God. We surrender ourselves into your hands. We ask this in Jesus' precious and holy name. And everybody said, and everybody said, man, isn't God good? Isn't God good? Can we just give him Come on, let's just give him some praise this morning. Jesus, we worship you. Now before we end, I believe that there's going to there's gonna be some awesome testimonies that come out of this. And so would you do me a favor? Would you keep in touch with me and let me know what God is doing in your life as a result of this? It's one of the things that we've talked about is it's our desire as a church to feature some testimonies every once in a while on our social media. How many of you know that social media could use some godly testimonies? Come on, somebody. And so we desire to just share some testimonies on what God is doing because the world has this false perception that God's not moving. But I think today that he proved that. Amen, church? I said, amen, church. So do me a favor, keep in touch. I want to hear what God is doing in and through your life. This has been an audio recording from Crossroads Community Church. If you'd like to get in contact with us or learn more about us, you can follow us on social media at C3Lehigh or email us at info at C3Lehigh.com. We'd love to hear from you.